0: Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where pressure is on the menu. I'm very glad that you decided to join me today on the Liberty Cafe. That is episode 21 of the Liberty Cafe. I'd like to remind everybody that the Liberty Cafe is sponsored by Texas Scorecard and Scorecard Media. We are grateful to be partners with this organization that promotes truth, truth in politics, truth about the world uh, throughout its many venues. And so we're glad to be a part of their team. So today, I'd like to talk a little bit about, well, a lot of things. My podcast, for one thing, one of the great things about having a podcast is that I get to talk about Anything I want to talk about. On the other hand, though, I only get to talk about things for very long if people are interested then and are listening to me. Because otherwise, uh, there's no reason in doing the podcast. I'm just talking to myself. So I want to talk a little bit about today, about the connection between religion and politics. Over the years, I've become pretty active in looking at my denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, and how it is succumbing in many ways to worldly wisdom. So instead of a wisdom that is born out of a fear of God, it appears to me, and and others, I'm not alone in this, that the, the Presbyterian Church in America is succumbing to a wisdom born out of a fear of man. Practically, what that looks like is that the theological positions that the church takes begin to look a lot less like scripture, a lot less like God's word, and a lot more like people who don't believe in God would like them to look like. Well, no, a lot of my audience is, is very interested in these kind of things, but probably more of my audience is interested in politics, policy, things that are going on in the Texas capital and the US capital. and So I want to talk a little bit about today, so why folks who are more interested in politics should still be interested in religion. Now I think if you're a Christian, it goes without saying you ought to be more interested in religion or in least theology and what God says than what's going on in the political world. Doesn't mean you can't do both, but the first interest needs to come from God and what he's talking to us about. But but I'd suggest that even if you're a non-Christian, and at least if you're a non-Christian who's a conservative free market type, you ought to be interested in what's going on in the Bible as well, in theology, in religion, and what the Bible has to say about the world today. Because whether you believe believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior or not, the entire Western culture for the last 2,000 years has been shaped by people who believed just that, or at least purported to believe just that. And so all the, the liberty and all the freedom and all the free markets and all the attention on individual liberty rights like life, liberty, and property those all came out of Christianity and specifically out of the Christian Bible started oh, you know 3,000 to 4,000 years ago depending on who you think wrote the first books of the Bible Moses is the best guess for most people that's about thirty five hundred years or so ago came on through the Old Testament scriptures and into the New Testament And it really has shaped the world we live in today. Now, of course, the world we live in right today is suffering from the last, oh, let's let's say 150 years or so, in America at least, of basically denying what's in the Bible. Or another way of putting that is denying that there is a God and that God that God is the God of the Bible. Europe's a little ahead of us on this. They got a head start. But we're catching up here in America. And the collapse of culture that we have seen in 2020, which is really building on the collapse of culture we've seen, uh, let's say, since the 1960s. So we're, we're looking at about 60 years now or so. It goes back farther than that. But, but that's a good starting point. That is all playing out because... American society has, over time, been rejecting God and the Christian heritage that our country was founded on. Another way of looking at this is Psalm 2, where the nations rage against God. Well, the nations are now raging against God, and that's happening even here in the United States today, particularly happening in places like Portland and Seattle and Chicago, cities that have seem to have from the leadership on down rejected God and are raging against him. They want to re-crucify Christ because they just can't stand that Christ who was once crucified and they thought they were done with the job has now been resurrected and is now ruling as king over all of creation. It's just not working out for them and they're trying to do anything they can to get back to that cross. But of course, that wouldn't change anything for him because it's the cr- when we go to the cross, we go to the cross because we know we're sinners and we know that we need to repent of our sins and the only way we can do that is call on Christ as our Savior. So it's really a good thing in one sense that, that these people are raging against God because maybe it will point them back to the cross. And that's the job of Christians to do that but where the church is really falling short today is that the church is failing in fundamental ways to point rebellious sinners back to the cross instead it is trying to accommodate them because they think a lot of people in the church think that this is the way to attract people it's to be more like them and that will they will find that attractive when instead the real path forward is to draw them in to what we look like because as ugly as Christians can be at times at our core is Jesus Christ and that's what we can look like but instead of looking like that to the world the church is too often trying to go back the other way I'd like to talk about a few areas where the church is basically giving up the ghost if you will, the Holy Spirit, in seeking to make itself look more like the world instead of trying to make the world look more like Jesus Christ. You'll see as I go through these why this is all relevant, because all of these have to do with the collapse in culture around us. The, the first thing is the denial of God as creator of the world. Of course, non-Christians have been trying to get around that for years. In the scientific world today, of course, it's the Big Bang, but they've kind of had to discard the Big Bang because the Big Bang sort of suggests there was nothing before there was something, and everybody knows you can't have that. You have to figure out where the something came from. And so, of course, from a Christian perspective, that something was God. But in the the atheistic perspective, it has to be something in creation, and you can't get something from nothing. So they they go back beyond to the big, beyond the big bang to the multiverse theory, and say, well, this universe just came out of this multiverse thing, and there was more out there, and they just do all this, but still doesn't get to the fact that somewhere, at some point in time, there had to be nothing. They can't explain that. Well, they still can't explain it. But what they did was. They had to come up with a way to try and sort of explain it, and they, they couldn't do it under the existing science that showed, according, in accordance with the Bible, that the world is pretty young, thousands of years old, not millions and certainly not billions. But, but that's what science had seen over all this time. About 1800 or so, a lot of atheists saw a way to get out from under the teachings of the Bible because the the historic Christendom that had basically enveloped Europe for over a thousand years had started to go away, and the Age of Enlightenment and the Age of Reason came into place. And so while they, they didn't necessarily say Scripture's not true, they started trying to look for a way to make the world really look old. And so you could have all these processes through which you could explain things the way they look today in the real world. And and that really came in the area of geology and the area of biology. Of course, Darwin is the most famous advocate in the world of biology. And there were a number of people over in, in this system of geology who did the same thing. And they started coming up with all these crazy explanations about how the world back then, it was just millions of years old. Now they've had to expand it because the millions didn't really work out, even the hundreds of millions. So now Christians in many parts of the church have given in to this and agree that the world is billions of years old. But in order to do this, they have had to twist and contort scripture in order to get to that point. So for Christians and for non Christians, it's important to look at this because the foundations of the world we live in today are built on god and the foundations of our culture and liberty are built on god but if we start acknowledging that the world is billions of years old all of a sudden we're given in to the other side that say well maybe it's not built by god instead of arguing with them because that's why they're saying that the world is billions of years old so they can prove that the world wasn't built by god Christians are accommodating that. And in the process, they are contorting Scripture. Well, how might that affect us? Well, they're contorting Scripture on everything else now. and, and look, let's just look at a few things very briefly. Christians today are certainly contorting Scripture when it comes to race. The Presbyterian Church in America, as I said my denomination, can't stop repenting of racism. I mean as recently, as just this year leading elders pastors in the PCA came out and apologized once again for their racism and for their white supremacy and for their white privilege and, and everything else this is just a few years after the PCA came out and repented for the sins of its predecessors and in the in the in the south and segregation and that's just a few years after the PCA and came out and confessed and repented of the sins of slavery and everything else, they just can't stop repenting. And at some point in time, if you look at the Bible, it says, well, you only have to repent one time, as long as your sins are in the past. But the PCA can't see that because they think just by living as white men, they are racist. And so they just have to continually have to repent of that. Well, nowhere in the Bible... Does it support that statement? But they find all kinds of things in the Bible today that support their beliefs on racism and their need to repent. And the fact that whites are racist because they have a distorted view of scripture. The same thing is going on when it comes to sex and relationships between men and women and whether men have to be men and women have to be women. And whether you can have sex inside or outside of marriage, and whether men can have sex with men and women can have sex with women. All this is going on in the world today because the church isn't stepping up and telling us what the Bible says about male and female. Of course, what the, one thing the Bible says about it is God created us male and female and that we have different roles as men and women husbands, as men are heads of their household, their wives are to submit to them. But the men are to serve them just like Christ served the church by dying on the cross. That looks very different than the world we have out today, the egalitarian world we have today. Yet, my denomination and many others have just given into this and are ordaining women in certain roles, uh, other denominations have gone all the way to ordain women in any kind of roles, and then they've also given in to gay marriage, and they've given in to the transgender movement. It it just doesn't stop. In the PCA, and in the Southern Baptist Church for that matter, uh, the revoice movement is kind of pushing the edge of this. It's saying, well, you can be gay as long as you live under the historic Christian ethic, which means no sex outside of marriage. But but that's just really a starting point. I don't question the sincerity of the people who are pushing that now. But I can guarantee you it won't say, stay that way over time because it hasn't stayed that way outside the church. And it hasn't stayed that way in other denominations. It won't stay that way in the PCA or the Southern Baptist Convention if we give in to it in our denominations. Two Kingdoms Theology is another area that is particularly pervasive in the PCA. And basically, it says that, well, yeah, God created everything and he rules over everything. But he's really particularly focused on redeeming Christians and not so much the cultural institutions of the world. Of course, the important point there is that we need redeeming because we're sinners and we've rebelled against God. And without the redemption of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, we're all going to languish in hell for eternity. So we need to be redeemed. But the two kingdoms approach says, well, Christians can be redeemed, but the world itself is not being redeemed, at least right now. So essentially, it's claiming that, The world is going to hell in a handbasket, and there's not much we can do about it as Christians. We shouldn't try to redeem politics or arts or culture, which has never made any kind of sense to me, because let's just say Christians go out there and do what they're supposed to do, which is take the gospel, preach the gospel to the nations, and bring them to Jesus Christ. Well, if you go out there and preach the gospel, and people come to Jesus Christ, and God is out there and Jesus is out there and the Holy Spirit is out there helping us do that, well, we're going to be successful at that. It's going to take some time. Obviously, God hasn't made it happen overnight, but we're going to get more and more and more and more Christians. And of course, we've seen that already. There were maybe thousands of Christians back after Christ died. And now there are hundreds of millions, perhaps even into the billions of Christians. So it's happening. And What if we go from, let's say, the world is 20% or 25% Christian or whatever number you want to get from the statistics, and what if we do our job and the number goes to 75 or 85 or 95%? Well, don't you think the cultural institutions of the world are going to look a little bit different than they do today? I don't see how you can argue with that case. But a lot of people in the PCA and in other parts of the evangelical church who call themselves dispensationalist. They just want to let all that go because they think, well, God's going to take care of that at the end of the world. There's not much we can do about it now. Now, some of them might argue with the way I'm characterizing it now, but if you get right down to it, that's where they are. And then, of course, the, the last thing I want to talk today is about abortion. This has been the, you know, all the other ones, racism and and the gay agenda and a lot of other things have been Important to the left over time, but I would say that without a doubt, a woman's right to choose, or let's say it out really is, a woman's right to kill her own baby, has been the biggest fight we've had going on in the United States over the last 60 years. They won't give it up. And in many ways, it's the most important fight that the church has been fighting during this time. Well, Unfortunately, the the church was totally unequipped to take this on when Roe versus Wade occurred. The the evangelical church was sliding towards liberalism, and and it was only through the efforts of a lot of people like Al Mohler in the Southern Baptist Convention and then kind of a rebirth of the evangelical church, including the Reformed Church and the PCA and others, where we started to muster the, not just the troops, but the theology to stand up against abortion and take that message through the gospel out to the nation. And now we've actually got a robust fight going on to try and not just overturn Roe v. Wade, but to convince people that abortion is a very bad and wrong thing. Unfortunately, that has cost the lives of millions and millions of children, in the United States today. And I would suggest that today, in all we see in the culture, in the disruption, in the dysfunction, in the sin, part of that is God's judgment on us for our abandonment of these children. But the fight's not over, and there's still more to do. But the church is given up on this, and it's particularly given up on this today, in some cases, because there are some evangelicals who just, hate Donald Trump now they would tell you probably that they don't hate him because hate is a sin and you're not supposed to do that but if you look at what these people are saying it's just amazing and you know there's a lot of folks out there so I don't mean to pick on this one guy but David French is a member of my denomination he's not an elder but he does seem to have become sort of the voice for this movement the Never Trump movement and the PCA and, and evangelicalism generally. And so he has now come out and openly supported the election of Joe Biden because Trump is apparently such an evil, awful man and he's so immoral. But have they looked at what Joe Biden has done over his life? If you want to look at some of the bad things Donald Trump has done, you really need to look pretty far back. Sure. President Trump still has his challenges and you can point out a lot of them, but in the scope of things, they're nothing compared to the morality of Joe Biden over the past four years and currently. So I don't get where these folks think that all of a sudden they're being moral because they're voting against Trump and voting for Joe Biden. Their moral case goes out the window on that. But that hasn't stopped them from claiming this, and it hasn't stopped them from giving up the fight on abortion. I remember back in 2008 when Barack Obama was running for president, and despite his impeccable pro-choice, pro-abortion credentials, a number of pastors in the PCA were recommending to their parishioners, their congregants, that they vote for Obama because it was a chance for racial reconciliation that we just couldn't pass up. didn't matter if millions of babies were going to die in the process. A little bit of racial reconciliation was worth it. Of course, what happened is that racial divides got worse under Obama, not better. Everybody's blaming all that on Trump today, but most of the racial problems in America today developed under Barack Obama. They're not because of Donald Trump. They're not because of slavery 150 years ago. They're not because of segregation in Alabama 70 or 60 years ago. They're because of the policies that Barack Obama and other liberal Democrats have pushed in the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years. But they're all blind to that. And then when David French was asked what he thought about the argument that a vote for Biden is a vote for abortion. French justified his position in favor of Biden by saying, the power of the president over abortion is profoundly limited. American abortion peaked in the 1980s and has gone down since then, regardless of whether the president is pro-life or pro-choice. The federal judiciary has time and time again been a source of pain, anguish, and frustration. Well, maybe that last bit is true, but it's because voters haven't put into place a president and a Congress and state legislators and everybody else who are willing to outlaw abortion. There are plenty of jurists and there are plenty of people who would do that if the American people would put them into place. But instead of focusing on the number one cause of death in America today, murder of babies the number one cause of the wrath of God being upon us today, murder of babies, and the number one dysfunctional action of the world today in its raging against God, the murder of babies. Time and time again, people like David French and PCA elders and pastors and other people like that are willing to say, oh, this is more important. Voting for this Immoral Joe Biden or this black Barack Obama or whatever it is, that's more important for whatever reason than saving babies. So that's why we're in the place we are today. So for those of you who are Christian, I think it just flows directly out of this that you should be looking at the problems in the church, even if you're not into theology and even if you're not into all the details of scripture. You should be looking about how the church is turning away from Scripture on these multiple issues, because that is what is driving the collapse in the culture today. For non-Christians, I would really say the same thing. Again, you may not believe that Christ is Lord and Savior. You may not even believe that there's a God, but you might be a conservative or libertarian who believes in some of the same things. Maybe your grounding of that is not necessarily in Scripture, although I would suggest that if you're Conservative, and you believe that there is truth, or you're libertarian and you bre- believe in li- liberty, eventually you're going to have to find your way back to scripture. But for right now, I'd hope to encourage you to look at the reasons that the culture is collapsing around us. And it's not just because of big government. That's part of it. But the reason we have big government today is because people in the church. Christians themselves aren't looking to scripture to see why government shouldn't be big and why it should be limited to the few things that God has told us it should be, mainly preserving life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, that's all we have for you today in the Liberty Cafe. I'm really glad that you've been with me today. And I'm particularly glad to thank once again our sponsors, Texas Scorecard and Scorecard Media.